0: And love to hear from you, because he's actually been out into a cinema for two weeks in a row. How are you, James?
1: Oh, very well, thank you. Yes, I've been outdoors. I've got a haircut and uh, <laughs> all the other stuff you do when you leave the house. Amazing. It's been very exciting. Yeah, brilliant. Do you, feel, exciting. do you feel
0: kind of all rejuvenated and stuff after the months of Netflix purgatory?
1: If, if I'm completely honest, I'm still finding my feet back into the routine of <laughs> you know, spending my evenings... <laughs> but literally spending because i have to spend my evenings traipsing from one end of hong kong to the other to go watch a film oh at the opium, I see. in the most inconvenient place because oh. press press screenings are always like in the middle of the night and which isn't very helpful but uh you know it's a welcome adjustment because it's back to some kind of normality and um go back to
0: the cinema is obviously good yeah brilliant mm-hmm. you can't have all the mm-hmm. hot dogs and stuff yet and popcorn can you
1: no, I tend to refrain from that kind of stuff anyway, but uh no, refrain, all of that is still is still on hiatus to give people no excuse to take their mask off. Basically.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. One thing at a time. Right. Anyway, so mm-hmm. I was very surprised last week because I thought it was going to be, you know, bargain basement stuff. Turned out to be really quite good. So what have you got for us today, Uncle?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, this, this week, actually, a couple of the big releases are holdovers from last Chinese New Year, a couple oh. of the big mainland block, potential blockbusters Yeah, um. Um, we were supposed to have watched in uh, February
0: 2020.
1: Mm. Dan- Dante Lam's The Rescue and uh, Detective Chinatown 3. Uh, so we are now getting those now. And Detective Chinatown 3 has already made history when it opened over Lun- Lunar New Year. On the mainland, and it had the largest opening weekend box office haul of any film anywhere ever. ever. It Made over 400, 400 million US dollars uh, over the uh, three day period or whatever it was, uh, which I think was previously held by uh, Avengers Endgame. So it's not a very long held uh, held record, but it just shows what it does. I think is it gives. Um, sp- industry pundits, uh, you know, some hope, because a lot of people have been sort of asking the question, will, you know, will cinemas or cinema going ever return to normal? Have people sort of found a new habit? Have Are people ever going to come back, ever feel safe going back? And I think what that shows you is that, yes, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, and we'll get to the, whether the film is actually any good or not later, but <laughs> what it shows you is that there is an appetite for going back to the cinema but yeah um, you know and it's not necessarily just because the, the film is you know top tier it's because people want the experience people want the communal experience they want the the, the going out experience they That's want it, the big the going screen out and the big old, that's so much of it i mean that's it's a classic date move date thing to do right go see a movie uh or it's something to just do if you're with if you're a younger particularly with your mates on the weekend yeah, or yeah. or you uh, as as is the case here something to do with the whole family after you've seen enough of each other for, you know, for over chinese new year it's uh, something you can do together where you can actually sort of ignore each other at the same time so there are all Sounds kinds cool. of different reasons why people want to do it and it is just incredibly encouraging to see that given the first opportunity to do it in a big market people are doing it thank you for
0: that so hey, that's, what, what, so that's what, encouraging what about all that stuff about normals and new normals and back to normal that word pops up quite a lot it's interesting i mm-hmm. think i think we've thought about that word quite a bit i mean is it well what do you think
1: uh yeah i'm trying to remember i was listening to a conversation with somebody the other day uh not eavesdropping it was yeah. a podcast or something <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and and i think that you know everyone's sort of. Sitting around waiting for things to go back to how they were before, and I don't think things are ever going to go back okay, to how they good. were before. Yes. I I think we are evolving into something different uh, that may be vaguely reminiscent of what we remember from the before times. Um, from but the I don't think ever, times, ever, ever we don't go oh, exa- there. exactly <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly um, so I and I think as far as the movie going experience is, I think you know people have obviously become a lot more savvy on uh streaming platforms just how to use it what's available mm. where they can get hold of stuff uh this year has taught everybody i think how to uh how to download stuff or how to find the uh, the platform of their choice um however what we are seeing is that people do want to go back to the cinemas um i think in terms of distribution um we we've got a variety of of uh, legitimate models now i think it has shown distributors uh, and exhibitors that the streaming platform is a viable model. Yep. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how, how many of these films make it back into cinemas. Uh, I think already before this a couple of years ago, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg and people like that were saying... Um, sort of They were kind of Ringing the death knell For the cinema experience Saying it will only be A play It'll be like Going to Broadway To the theatre Or it'll be like Going to the opera As your background there Suggests uh, It'll only be for films Like Avengers Endgame that, Or Star Wars That people will go To the cinema Everything else They'll be quite happy To watch at home mm. I don't know if that's I don't know if that's Specifically true For the reasons We've just mentioned People just like Going out And going to the cinema So um, we'll have to see. I mean, maybe for a lot of smaller films with with less of a budget, or um, you know, un- are unlikely to get a big studio behind them who would be willing to put the money and marketing into a big cinema cinema release. Mm. Maybe the streaming platforms are a more viable, cheap, just cheaper option. I mean, there was a Disney. There's a Disney scandal going on right for now. There is. I thought. Cool. I think. I think the example they were using was Bill Nye, the Science Guy who does a show for Disney and has done since uh, since the 90s, and he's got a uh, a contract uh, that dates back to 1993, and his royalties and residuals from his show give him... They give um, Disney 80% of the home video market, and he gets 10% or something like that. But because they're now putting everything out on like Netflix or whatever, the home video uh, budget or the cost... What it costs Disney to put things out on home video is not the same as all of those production costs of creating actual videotapes, shipping them out, and getting them video sold. Tapes. You know, when they just literally <laughs> click a button and sell sell digital content to uh, to Netflix, sure, and so sure. that's going through the courts right now uh, with Bill Nye, quite rightly, I think, arguing uh, Disney are Disney don't deserve eighty percent of it anymore because they're not; it's not costing them anything anymore. Uh, so that's. Interesting. Uh,
0: so, we'll, so yeah, the 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 uh, what my point of that was that your point was we haven't mentioned James Bond yet.
1: We haven't, not yet, not yet. There's always <laughs> there's always time. There's always a chance. What I can do is yeah, I saw Billie Eilish who sings the new Bond oh, uh, yeah. song. She was be- she was being interviewed because there's a new sort of fly on the wall documentary all about her meteoric rise to fame on Apple TV Plus. I think from today. So maybe later today. Mm-hmm. So that might that might be something worth checking out. Uh, I don't know whether that that will cover her doing the Bond song or not, but I think there's plenty of opportunity to. So there you go. I have managed to talk about James Bond.
0: Right, let's get down Thanks to it. Thanks for the
1: ch- challenge accepted. Uh, right, OK, the first thing I wanted to just flag up for people is people might remember that some, at some point last year... Um, the a brand new sort of IMAX uh restoration of uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Apocalypse Now, the yes. final cut, which is his his sort of yet another retinkering of the film, played in cinemas, and I remember, but only very very briefly, and I remember people sort of saying, "Oh yes, I'm keen to go see it," but by the time they were telling me that it had already gone so i have just noticed that it is going to be playing again on the weekend of the 20th 21st of march in IMAX cinemas i think at i square maybe i square only actually so if you were one of those people uh who was interested in checking it out you know book your tickets now because i think it's only playing once or twice over that weekend but it is phenomenal it's my favorite film probably and it looks
0: fantastic on (laughs) not not yeah, so you've got your free. you've got your HAL Nine Thousand T-shirt on.
1: I have. Well, yeah, Two Thousand One Space Odyssey is pro- is their neck and
0: neck. Their neck and neck. Are they joined us on Facebook Live to look at James's freebie T-shirts.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know if this one was free for <laughs> once. Actually, it was. On. <laughs> I don't buy things. Uh, he says in front of a massive fun- bookshelf of expensive books. Anyway, um. There is a new classically restored uh, 4K restoration of a movie out this week. It's a slightly newer movie, but it is no less uh, powerful and hard-hitting. Uh, Park Chan-wook's *Old Boy*, which is one of the most sort of notorious and successful uh, Korean films of the sort of Korean New Wave, which came out of like the end of the end of the 20th century, early 21st century. Um, it is a as one might expect it's a revenge thriller as many korean films are sure. and it is the story zombie. it's the story of an uh in more recent days yeah everything is zombies in it but yep. but early early 2000s everything was a revenge thriller a sort of noir very slick very moodily shot uh n- revenge thriller and in large part due to the success of old boy um Essentially, it's the story of a a salaryman who is literally kidnapped off the street by people unknown uh, and locked in a room for 15 years, doesn't know why, he's never told why, Uh, and then he is just as suddenly released, and he has no explanation of what's going on, and so during those 15 years, he's obviously gone through a uh, a few sort of mental somersaults and has toned and honed himself into a uh, an instrument of vengeance and so when he is released he goes on the warpath to find out exactly who did this to him and why Uh, and it is
0: absolutely absolutely fantastic what might have inspired these guys to do revenge drama because you think of things like rambo and that that it's i mean it's a
1: it's a com- commonly posed question for which there is no clear definitive answer. It's it's obviously something deep within the Korean psyche, because they particularly... Did, did they
0: watch Chuck Norris when they were kids or something? Is that,
1: you know... Well, that's entirely possible, and uh, especially because, you know, there is a sort of sure. a- American militarised <laughs> presence in, uh, in South Korea. But I think it's, you know, uh, not to make broad sweeping generalisations about an entire... Uh, you know nationality of people, but they, they, it does seem to be sort of a, a quite anxiety-ridden place. Uh, there seems to be a lot of sort of pent-up aggression and internalized hostility, and that, you know, it's a very stressful environment. Um, I wouldn't want to live in Korea Carith- I always have a good time when I go there, but you you feel that there's a lot of just you know pent-up aggression under the under the surface. Very stressful lifestyle i think uh, very high expectations. You've, you've got a mate
0: who lives there what does and he's a foreigner what does he I like
1: do with? i i do i do and he's 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 just like that yeah. <laughs> <Is> he? <laughs> yeah. he's a ticking time bomb of fury yeah. uh, no so he um so i i mean it's it's hard to it's hard to say i mean you can tap into all kinds of things in their recent history where they're just they've had a bad run you know what okay. with the war and then one corrupt leader after another over and over again and uh it all adds all, up. all sorts it, it all adds up yeah uh suffice to say old boy is absolute cracker uh not for the faint of heart but uh that shouldn't stop you and uh it is playing in a brand new 4K remaster out in cinemas. As so, of right, it's like
0: our own sort of parish magazine every every Friday. It's like, oh, and did <laughs> you know this is happening? Get your free biscuits and watch a film. Mm. It's good. Though. There's a bring and buy sale at the <laughs> church hall on Sunday, yes. and quiet practice is cancelled. <laughs> no, it's good to know what's going That's on, it. especially That's now it. because you know it's 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 nice to know that something different because we are creatures of habit. Well, I think that
1: is, is one of the things that you're also seeing because the the question I get asked more than any other right now is oh the cinemas are reopened yes but is there actually anything worth going to see well that was I thought
0: that didn't I I thought it would just be like palatoy movies but no aha
1: well I mean because it's the thing because everybody knows that all the big Hollywood blockbusters are all on hold nothing is coming out so what are they filling their screens with luckily there is a lot of uh, sort of other content that has been released on streaming platforms overseas but we don't have so many streaming platforms over here so there is an opportunity for local distributors to buy up the local theatrical rights to a lot of stuff uh and also yeah it's a great opportunity to put old classics back on the screen
0: i'll tell you what we've got five minutes before the news so why don't you in just a second get stuck into uh something else And I'd like to invite our listeners to join us on Facebook Live, Morning Brew, as usual, and do chip in, because he'd love to hear from you. That was rubbish, that was brilliant, whatever you want to say. Where's my washboard? What have you got?
1: Okay, well, let's do Detective Chinatown 3, which is this film that has... has Broken these box office records in China. Yeah, uh, this is the third part in a, as one might expect, as it's called Detective Chinatown Three, and they are kind of a uh, sort of light-hearted, high-energy um, detective sort of crime caper comedies. Directed and written by uh, Chen Si Cheng and starring Wang Bao Quang and Liu Haoran. Now Wang Bao Quang plays this guy called Tang Ren, who is a disgraced cop who was working in uh, Chinatown in Bangkok. Um, oh right,
0: Where yeah. everybody,
1: every everybody back home in uh, in China thinks that he's like the the best detective in town, uh, but he's he's not. He's actually sort of. A real uh, Layabout A slacker And he's just no good At his job Uh, His cousin uh, Flies over uh, Who's a sort of Young introverted guy But is a real Sort of nerd When it comes to Classic detective stories Particularly Sherlock Holmes And whatever And he ends up They end up sort of Pairing up Solving crimes together uh, And with the young one Doing a lot of the work And Tang Ren basically, Basically being sort of Loud and obnoxious And saying all the wrong things At the wrong time But it's It's comedy gold Really? Um well, that's the intention. So the first film uh, took place in, in sort of the Chinatown of, of Bangkok uh, and was fun. Although Tang Ren Wang Quang's character, really does great. He's incredibly sort of histrionic, over the top. Uh, and that was kind of the failing of that film or the caveat of that film. The second one, they went to New York and it's I thought it was a complete mess. Lots of horrible stereotypes. That we haven't seen and before. Pretty, <laughs> ever pretty, crass and awful. Uh, the third. This is the third one, and they go to uh, Japan to solve the, the murder of a gang boss, a yakuza boss, in uh, in Tokyo. Uh, you've got the The biggest thing about this film that helps it is you've got this really strong, robust supporting cast of big name Japanese stars, mm-hmm. including Satoshi Sumabu, uh, Sumabuki. Uh, you got Masami Nagasawa. You got uh, Asana tadanobu you know. And if you're into Jap- any kind of mainstream Japanese cinema, you know exactly who all of these people are. Very, very sort of a list, a list sort of celebrity stars, and and they either are there to help or hinder this investigation. Uh, as a result. Uh, it's a much, it's a much sort of slicker production. They've got a lot more interesting supporting characters. Tony Jar, Thai martial arts star Tony Jar, pops up uh, as sort of Bangkok's toughest cop, uh, who is there because the uh, the murdered boss is actually a representative of a, of a Southeast Asian gang, and the prime suspect is a yakuza boss. And so the yakuza boss has recruited these detectives to try and solve the crime. So it's it's much, it's more of the same, uh, just with you know better, a better sort of broader supporting cast. Uh, they use. The japanese uh, locations very well and unlike in part two in part two where it's set in new york it was very stereotypical and quite derogatory about the americans and mean if you've got people in the it. american way of life however you know and so i was a bit trepidatious going into this one which is a mainland chinese film about japan and they're always it's always a very touchy subject but i've got to be honest The message there was one of unity, of healing, Mm -hmm. of respect. Uh, The jokes made at the expense of the Japanese were quite just, you know, pleasant, polite jokes. It's all about, oh, you're tidy, you're punctual, you're very polite, all that kind of stuff. Uh, And it actually actually comes across a lot more fun. Tang Ren, still a very annoying character, but with this big ensemble, he's in it
0: far less. Go get a cup of tea. It's nearly time for us to get to the news. Do join us on Facebook Live if you want. He's got a couple more things to get stuck into, so let's do the weather. Right, what are we going to do now?
1: Okay. well, let's do Monster Hunter. Good idea. uh, Which is a big new video game adaptation from uh, Paul Thomas. Paul not Paul Thomas Anderson Paul W.S. Anderson uh, the, the other place. Paul Anderson
0: Yeah
1: <laughs> Why? Well, you knew that, right? You know hey, that
0: Quick hello to Steve Who's joined us on Facebook Live Steve H. Hi lads, just arrived It's not the Double Deckers Or a youth club, you know Anyway, good to have no. you along You've got sorry, to contrib- sorry, contribute we couldn't now, Steve wait. You've got to say something Yeah, there's the deal Go on then
1: Absolutely uh, Right, so uh, Paul Thomas Paul- I'm going to keep saying Paul Thomas Paul W.S. Anderson just call him Paul, and- right? Paul Anderson and his <laughs> wife his he's married to Mila Jovovich okay the the uh, supermodel turn star of the fifth element and the resident evil films here her and her husband Paul Anderson did all the Resident Evil films, and they have now turned their attention to another Capcom video game franchise, Monster Hunter. Okay. Uh, this is the story. Miljochovitch plays a uh, Captain Artemis, who is an army ranger. Her and her crew are on a UN mission in the desert, looking for a similar team that went missing. Uh, they drive into a storm, which transports them to a parallel world on a very similar-looking desert, which is overrun by marauding by marauding <laughs> giant monsters. Fair enough. Uh, her team is very quickly wiped out and she uh, reluctantly joins forces with a kind of barbarian sort of pirate character uh, called known only as Hunter, played by, hey, it's Thai martial arts star Tony jar again, who was just in the last film. He's had a busy time. Yeah. Uh, so they can't communicate, but they, you know, they strike up an uneasy alliance and they both, you know, have the ability to fight and to survive. Tony Jar wields a sword the size of a surfboard and he teaches, gives her some weapons that are better suited for fighting these monsters and they go around fighting monsters and
0: hopefully finding a way to get home. Fair play. That sounds good. All in a day's work.
1: Yeah, so that's pretty... I mean, Mila Jovovich can do this sort of stuff with her eyes closed, you know, after all the Resident Evil movies and what have you, and so she cuts a very sort of convincing figure as a uh, an action heroine. And yeah. Tony Jarre, similarly, uh, you know, he's not really required to say very much, uh, but his martial arts pedigree precedes him, and... Um, they managed to strike up a fairly effective kind of camaraderie between them which evokes films like sort of enemy mine or um before that hell in the hell in the pacific mm-hmm. where you had uh, lee marvin and toshiro mifune as uh, american and japanese soldiers uh, marooned on a desert island and obviously they can communicate and they start fighting each other and eventually they realize hey we'll do better if we join forces. So it's got a lot of that. Um, Visually, it feels very sort of similar to a lot of those early 80s movies. You know, after the success of things like Star Wars, Mad Max and Conan the Barbarian, you had like a slew... sort of big sci-fi fantasy epics uh post-apocalyptic movies uh all through like the 80s and this feels like it has seen every single one of those and been taking notes and going okay we're going to do a bit of that and a bit of that and a bit of that so they're running around the desert with kind of sort of weird mad max style body armor sort of leather and spikes and biker gear and all the rest of it um they're fighting sort of giant underground spiders which feels like a scene sort of out of aliens um and, uh, you know, generally you feel like, okay, you know, this, this definitely knows its audience and knows what it is. And uh, apparently gaming fans, fans of, of the Monster Hunter game about, you know, it's a whole series of games, a whole massive sort of world of games. I, do, I know nothing about them. I haven't seen any of them. Apparently they're not very happy. They feel that the, the film is, it, it does a really very bad job of reflecting the vast world of that game but it's a movie it can only be so much it has to like pick one setting and go with
0: it can you remember one gaming movie where everybody was happy i mean mm-hmm. all the all the diehards hated the first sonic the hedgehog incarnation didn't they
1: how dare they they apparently uh, they, did. They, yeah, they did they had him redesigned yeah, yeah. didn't they 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 had him redesigned to be less anthropomorphic uh yeah no it's a very tricky thing i mean the resident evil movies actually are probably some of the most successful in doing that. And so you felt that this was kind of safe hands. I mean, Paul Anson has also done his fair share of rubbish, but I think he's got a few decent films under his bed, under his bed, <laughs> under his belt, like, uh, yeah, Event we, Horizon. I don't think
0: they're the ones we're going to be talking about today, though, do you?
1: No. Uh, Event Horizon is yes. a pretty classic, uh, sort of sci-fi horror movie. Um, he did... Alien versus Predator, I think, as well. But, yeah, the Resident Evil movies are really sort of what he what he's known for. I mean, this is exactly what you think it's going to be. Uh, you know, it's, it's Mila Jovovich and Tony Jaa running around the desert fighting giant sort of underground underground monsters. Yeah. So it's got a bit of dune going on, you know, with the big sandworms there, and, it's, yeah, it's a bit of Aliens, and it's a bit of Mad Max, and it's a bit of uh, Enemy Mine. Um, if any of those are your bag, then this is another one of those. I think the effects work is quite pretty well done actually and like I said the performances are convincing within the context of what they are and what's being demanded of them uh, there is a fantastic supporting turn from Ron Pullman in a yeah. ridiculous blonde fright wig and lamb chop uh, handlebar sideburns uh, and I felt He's sort of underserviced somewhat. He pops up at the very beginning and kind of towards the end, and you're like, "Why is the whole movie not about him?" Apparently, his character, the admiral, is is a character from the video game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's definitely it's definitely set up for there to be more, for there to be uh, sequels. But I but I don't know if that's going to happen. I mean, the film had a very bumpy release in in China. There was I don't know if you remember this. There was a sort of big controversy, which I think was a bit. Unfair on the film itself. There is a line in the film very early on where a Chinese character, one of the American soldiers, actually makes just a really bad joke—a pun knees, about,
0: right?
1: about his knees being yeah. Chinese. Um, uh, the, the joke in itself is is offensive only because it's a bad joke. Um, I don't think it's actually supposed to offend anybody. Um, apparently, what happened is in the Chinese subtitles for the mainland release. Ah. Uh. They they sort of changed what the joke was, and it referenced all kinds of different uh, cultural, uh, you know, offences. You know, some people uh, attributed it to sort of playground racial, racial slurs, uh, to everything to a – it was something about having gold under your knees, which is some kind of old sort no, of Chinese – yeah no I, I i there's a wonderful article I think it was on variety, which really sort of breaks down exactly what what was aff- why people were offended by it. but it it was such a problem that the film got pulled from release that scene has been cut out of the movie and um it, it never it never got put back in cinemas unfortunately and I think the china market was really where this film could have scored a lot of box office I mm. think it was the it's the right audience for this movie um that's now not going to happen, and in America, it hasn't really been, obviously been able to have much of a release, and over here, I think people are a bit uh, more fans of the game than they are of that genre of film. Yeah. And so I think it's going to end up sort of dying a, a slow and lonely death, un- unfortunately, and so the the chances of there being more are very low.
0: Fair enough. It's quite funny you say mm-hmm. I think they might be looking forward to doing more of these. I mean, hello. Of course, they yeah. Are. Well, it, well, it ends with you know
1: on a kind of a real cliffhanger, kind of like until oh. next time, do, Denouement. Do, do, do. But um, but unfortunately, I don't, I don't think we're going to get more. All right, uh, right. Moving on. Yeah. Uh, okay. The rescue is the other big sort of Chinese blockbuster that was supposed to come out last uh, Chinese New Year, but is now only just coming out now. Uh, directed by Hong Kong's own Dante Lam, but this is very much sort of a uh, a mainland Chinese movie. This is the third in a series of. Of, of big scale sort of action blockbusters that he has done highlighting the different sort of um, domestic services, should we say. The, he did Operation Mekong, which was all about the police, then he did Operation Red Sea, which is all about the uh, n- army, or was it the navy, I think it was. Uh, big, you know, the big bombastic action disaster movies uh, with a very sort of, obviously, sort of nationalistic patriotic sort of bent to them. Mm. Uh, This last one is The Rescue, and it's all about the, uh, sort of search, search and rescue, the Coast Guards, essentially. (laughs) Yeah. Search and rescue guys, uh, who, you know, so it's Coast Guards, so it's lots of rescuing, uh, fires on oil rigs, sinking ships, uh, Crash trucks in uh, whitewater rapids, uh, you know any kind of sort of domestic disaster like that. Eddie Peng is there, hanging from a helicopter with his winch and his uh, and his life jacket, putting his life at risk for the sake of those, you know, just innocent victims. Um, when it's doing those things, it's as spectacular as as you could want from this kind of big budget disaster movie. Dante Lam definitely knows how to film an explosion knows how to film sort of big big scale action set pieces he's very much sort of the michael bay of chinese yeah, cinema yeah, yeah, uh, so if you like this is michael bay watch or or even <laughs> <Very good. laughs> it's got <laughs>
0: thank
1: you it's got try to feel it's got a real sort of top gun vibe to it or even sort of armageddon certainly the first half of armageddon, armageddon before they go to to space. Hmm. Uh so you could call this Armageddon wet because it's uh you know (laughs) Oh, they come thick and fast. Um the its problem is that as soon as they all put their feet back on terra firma, it feels obliged to give us huge great slabs of melodrama about their home lives and their domestic lives. Eddie Peng's got a little son. His wife has died. He's got a little son who, who's getting sick. There's a the, the helicopter captain quits in like the opening scene and so they get a new cap, helicopter captain in and she's a girl and she's a by-the-book, button-down girl and that doesn't go down well with the lads. Uh, you've also got the, the, the one young guy who's about to get married. You've got the other young guy who's lost his confidence and whenever it's doing any of that
0: stuff, it's incredibly boring. Do we have terminal diseases as well? Because that features quite a lot.
1: Uh, the ki- the kid has a has a condition, yes. yeah.
0: Uh, so you've got a lot of very sloppy, well, not sloppy, very sloppy. But that's sort of not what he's there soap- for, is it? He's the, you know right. go for, go for a couple well, of actually, tea and then watch him blow up things and rescue people.
1: It's funny you should say that because this is what you get with every Dante Lam movie. Yeah, well. you know when it's when it's doing the big explosive stuff, you can't really want for anything better. But he just has this—he he can't fight this other side of him that just wants to be a soap opera director. <laughs> that's uh, cool. So, so yeah. it. If you if you want to go watch sort of oil rigs blow up, um, this is great. But you have to sit through sort of sickly children as well, unfortunately.
0: All right then, is that all she wrote for today? I mean, good good selection there, James.
1: Th- thank you very much. There's one little one I just want to point out. It's a little British-made
0: uh, during lockdown horror movie called mm. Host. Is this the um, one? Is is this like Blair Witch on Zoom?
1: Yes. Yeah, that's not a bad way of summing it up. <laughs> oh, uh, what I was going to say is that. Hang on, <laughs> hang on, hang on. What I was going to say is that, you know, this is a great time, the cinemas are open, all the rest of it, it's exciting, go out to the cinema. I would argue, actually, that this is a film best served watching on your laptop. It seems a weird thing to say, but the movie is a Zoom call, very much like I'm talking to you right now. Yeah. And it's the story of, like, so sort of five or six uh, friends, all girls, there's one token bloke, um, who get together over Zoom, this British made during quarantine, uh, to do a seance. One of them has talked to the others into doing a seance, and so they've got a some medium who comes on to the call as well, and then things start going wrong. Now, the film is pretty short as well. It's only 57 minutes long, so I think if you're going to the cinema to watch it, you'd feel a little shortchanged, anyway by just the, the brevity of the film. However, it's actually really well done. For what it is, it's an hour-long spooky Zoom call. Hmm. And I don't think the cinema is the best place to see it. However, I think it's actually done really effectively. I think the performances are certainly good enough to carry... uh and because it's all on Zoom, the, the, it doesn't really need much in the way of special effects. It creates a great sense of sort of atmosphere. And if you've seen those movies like Blair Witch Project, but more like sort of paranormal activity, where the film is really those films are really sort of happening over CCTV uh, and just odd stuff starts happening in the background and there's lots of jump scares and all the rest of it. I think actually this one is really competently executed and it's worth sinking out, but I hate to say it, but but maybe wait and don't see it in the cinema and uh, maybe watch it on your laptop and pretend that you're on the Zoom call too. See, when people use the word competent,
0: which you just did, kind of- Yes. It's like saying something's nice, isn't it? Well,
1: because it's clearly modest, you know, it's a modest production because it is essentially a Zoom call and so it didn't cost very much. Uh, There aren't any big stars in it. I think it's it's a first time filmmaker. Uh, So people expect the worst when they're like, well, I don't know anybody in it. And I don't know, you know, it looks cheap. So people do expect the worst. So I want to reassure people that it's actually handled with, with a great degree of assurance and competency. Uh, but I just don't really think you're going to get duff. the most out of it. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's not pretty duff. I just, it's, it's good.
0: Uh, let, me, let me be very clear about this. Host is good, <laughs> okay. but it's probably ill-suited for the cinema. Fair play, James. Remind us what you were talking about today, would you?
1: Okay, so that is Host. Uh, also, there is The Rescue... Eddie Peng as a Coast Guard. Uh, There is Detective Chinatown 3 and Monster Hunter.
0: Nice one. We'll do it all again next week. Well done. Go back to bed.